Welcome to the Televerse, streaming in place. Lucifer. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Streaming in Place. Today, we are talking about Lucifer Season 5, Episode 5, Detective Amenadiel. Uh, listeners, as you may have heard yesterday, we were very excited about the concept of this episode, um, just based on the title, not really knowing much about it, but other than it was called Detective Amenadiel. So based on your gleeful, like, overwhelmed reaction, Allison, I'm going to throw to you first. Did, did this episode lived up, live up to the promise of that title? You know, I'm not sure that there was any way that it could have. Um I, which is not to say that I didn't enjoy it. I did. And I'm excited to talk about this one. Um, but you, I mean, you call something detective amenadiel and the possibilities are so magical and endless that once the mystery of why it's called detective amenadiel is gone, so is some of the joy. Um, so. Yes and no. I will say it feels very much like a final season episode, like the kind of thing that um, uh, showrunners will sort of check off as one last really fun combination that we haven't tried out yet. And I do think that if Lucifer were actually ending, this one might hit a little bit harder, but instead it, it's just sort of like a fun um table setting episode with a couple of really important things going on that elevated a little. Uh, Noel, what did you think? Yeah, this was fine. Um, I agree with Allison that it felt very much like a let's get, let's have Chloe and Amenadiel do a case together, which produces a lot of really kind of solid stuff. I think in terms of dynamics and in, how they talk about the central conflict of the season uh, so far, Michael's side, like the emotional conflict of the season. And I think that that's the show's strongest stuff, the episode's strongest stuff. Um, but the rest of it just kind of, I mean, I'm just going to be real honest with all of you in that, I mean, if you're going to do horny nuns, I need something that really hits the black narcissist levels of horny nuns. For me to really engage. Um, and I know that they're not horny nuns, but they're kind of horny nuns. Um, so it's it's one of those things. But I think that there's some interesting concepts in this episode. Um, it's just not the most compelling cases. The ripped from the headlines Katy Perry stuff aside. <laughs> uh, so I am definitely much stronger in this than either of you two. Latoya, what did you think? I am also much stronger in this uh than you two and so i guess i'm up there with kate uh i think that it's it's definitely a final season episode that's like that's for sure like they could have technically done this premise in any other season but i think it works specifically because it uh comes along with all the stuff like we need to chloe to finally know about that one thing she really did not know about and what that means because even like Amenadiel and Lucifer don't even really know what it means. And Amenadiel throughout, like from season two on, has always kind of led the charge on figuring out what celestial self-actualization means. So it also makes sense that he's Detective Amenadiel here because he is the one who kind of puts the bow on figuring out what it means for Chloe to be a, a gift from God or put into Lucifer's path. So that's necessary as well. Um, 
it's a missed opportunity to go the Katy Perry route and then not have Shaylee Rose's character have done the murdering. Yes. (laughs) There's a very obvious guy. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So for those who like me, didn't know the Katy Perry thing. Can someone fill in the gaps? What is the Katy Perry thing? So this was like in 2017, I think Um, Katy Perry wanted to buy a convent, a really nice convent. Like it has a pool. Um, but there was a big legal kerfuffle over who could sell it to her, whether it was the actual nuns of the convent or the archdiocese of the area or region or however that breaks down. Um, so there was just this big legal thing basically between the church, within the church about who could sell this to her, if they could sell it to her. Um, and I forget what, like, the ramification, what, like, the what ended up happening there latoya do you know because all i know is that this was very much based on katie perry and then they just went nope not this <laughs> uh like during one of the hearings one of the nuns going against katie perry like collapsed in like the, the the case it's just like there's an article where it's like nun says please carry katie perry don't do this to us it's just yeah. like katie perry versus nuns and it's yeah. awesome because how more much more tone deaf can katie perry get than to Go versus nuns. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. So, no, that's what they're going for in this episode. Um, That convent doesn't seem as nice as the convent that Katy Perry was trying to buy. (laughs) Um, I I encourage folks to go and, like, look at this. I think Hollywood Reporter has a number of photos from, like, inside the convent. And again, it's gorgeous. It's a beautiful structure, and I can see why she would want to buy it. Uh, yeah, Insider.com has, like, a a whole timeline of everything that's happened. Yeah, she was going to buy the convent for $14.5 million in cash. Yeah. She really wanted that convent. "Mm, No. (laughs) Okay. So that's interesting. That's a good you know, context for, for all of this. The case of the week has some issues, clearly. Um, the, the manager guy, security guy. See, that, that, I know what his name is, but the thing is, is he her manager or is he her bodyguard? Because, it's so unclear. Because the character, the way he is depicted, is totally the heavy. But every bit of dialogue suggests he's her manager. Yeah. Her very scary manager. It's very strange. So that is clearly a, a weak point in this. Um, a menadeal D, like, like, pulling out the wings, I thought. A menadeal exposing himself, which was a very fun sight gag with Ella. No, Chloe, I will not expose myself. <laughs> to these nuns? Yeah. Um, was uh, a bit much, I thought. I don't know that they sold it, but that's the kind of thing that, again, feels like a se- a final season thing, as opposed to a second to last season thing. Yeah, um, it's the amenadeal version of pulling out his devil face, yeah. Uh, yeah. complete with, like, the same reaction. Yeah. Um, so, like, I, you know, I get why they're going for that, especially if this had, had actually been the last season. But um, for me, any of the the shakiness around, like, there's a secret room and all this other, was more than made up for by a couple of things. First of all, just that shot of Chloe arriving at the convent, which was delightful. Yeah. Um, but also Yvonne Cole as Sister Angelica, because this is the kind of post-Jane guest casting that I would like to see, rather than the absolute waste waste of the casting over on The Good Fight. Um, Yvonne Cole is just fabulous. And, you know, it's, again, it's one of these, like, two-scene kind of characters, one-scene kind of characters, that they need someone with enough 
like the right energy and the right um, charisma to to really sell. And I thought she nailed it. I was so happy. Even even my parents who did not watch Jane the Virgin, other than maybe you know if I was over at their place and watching it, was like mom was like, wait, who is that? I know her. Why do I know her? Who is that? And I was like, Jane the Virgin. She's like, yes. So every, you know, everybody, everybody loves Abuela, even if, you know, he or she's Sister Angelica. So um, that, and then just watching the one sister just, like, jump a deal really did all the heavy lifting for me on making me fully on board with this case of the week. Yeah, it's, you know, like I said, I... I think that most of what happens here is pretty enjoyable. Frankly, they could have come up with any case that allowed Amenadiel and Chloe to team up, and I would have been really okay with that. Um, I think the highlight is the interrogation. Mo- like, I love a Lucifer interrogation montage, and it was really fun um, watching Amenadiel sort of try to figure out how to work in that mode uh, we- while going relatively light on the Amenadiel learns how to human stuff, which I think is great. Instead, he just is not aware <laughs> of exactly what is happening to him um, of his own very particular celestial mojo. Um so I had the same issues about um, the sort of whodunit aspect of it and our manager slash heavy slash whoever the hell that was. Um, slash he did it. <laughs> yeah, slash that guy. Okay, see you again in Act 4. Um, but as a means to an end of exploring um, love and ro- specifically romantic love, but also... Um, the love you feel for someone and what it says about you, what it means to have that reflected back at you. Uh, I think it's pretty effective as a Lucifer case as excuse to talk about other things. I was uh, listening to a D.B. Woodside interview the other day um, on the Spectrum Bond podcast, and he was talking about how excited he was for this episode because to work directly with Lauren German, because according to him, she is one of the funniest people that he knows, and she spends so much of the time trying to break him. And that that really just gave me so much joy to hear. <laughs> the, the scene of them interviewing the nuns at the convent, like, and just the reactions was very, very good. Like, just the slow, like, okay, you ask. Okay, you ask and I'm going to leave. Uh, was was very good. There was, You know, it's a different kind of energy than we're used to getting, obviously, but it, it really did work. Um, Scotty says, I also uh, really enjoyed the nun and convent sections of the case of the week. Agree, the pop star stuff is fuzzy. It was a fun way to learn more about Amenadiel and about Chloe. And I always appreciate when religious people are treated as people, flawed as they may be, instead of cartoons or caricatures. I'm much more interested when it's complicated or unexpected or nuanced rather than silly or tropey, horny nuns and and et cetera. Um, The nun interview scene was absolutely wonderful. Woodside was hilarious. I, yeah, strong, strong agree there. I mean, like, there is different, you know, types of representation of, of religious people on, on TV. The one I keep waiting for is I just, like, with the right showrunner and writer. I would love to see a religious companion on Doctor Who. I feel like it would be fascinating. I feel like there's so much. It would be really great that the show just doesn't want to touch, I guess. I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, the the notion of using this case specifically to help Amenadiel make a breakthrough on you know, on on the gift thing, on how the powers work, on Lucifer's vulnerability. I think it really clicked. And I also like that Lucifer isn't the one who kind of like pieces that together. I like that it's a deal. I think we needed some level of an external point of, point of view on that. And the notion that he is actively considering this stuff and coming, like having a breakthrough about it. Um, I, I really like that. 
I do have, I have a question. It's Amenadiel. You're my dad. Oh my God. <laughs> it was so good. It was so good. And like, she was just like, do, do, I, have, do I have powers? It's like, it's so Lasers terrific. for my hands? Like anything cool? Um, especially when he's like, yeah, you know, freezing time. And she was like, wait, whoa, whoa. She's back like, it I up. Yeah. I did not know you could do that. That wasn't, a, that was happening. What, what, what else was happening in season one? I mean, uh, a couple years ago. Uh, not even a couple years ago. I love that moment so much because I, I just really felt, I don't know, as though that was maybe the high watermark for the show's empathy for Chloe and understanding how surreal and frustrating and bizarre um, and like profoundly dark night of the soulish all of this must be the idea that she's she's just looking for an upside like okay if my entire existence is was created just so that i could be something to this other being uh, an emotional physical plaything for another creature then do i at least get lasers out of my hands and when she doesn't it's just it was like low-key devastating it was just a really really good very funny but fairly heartbreaking scene i thought well, and also because they look at her like she's ridiculous. And she's like, this is not a ridiculous question. This is, and we, you know, not. as the audience, we are fully, I was fully on board with her here. I, lo- I love the performance. I loved the timing of it. I was like, yeah, this is not a silly question. This is a very legit question. Um, I like that, you know, where they end up with Lucifer, this feels like as close to an answer as we are going to get about his vulnerability. I mean, it, it tracks really nicely with all the other um, self-actualization around um, yes. the physicality of the angels. It really it slots right into place. There's some questions as to, like, why is it a range effect? But, you know, like, eh, don't worry about it. Oh, yeah, I, I do want to know what the range is. They should do measurements. This just gets into my next question. LaToya, you can... Are we going to get, like, a shooting Lucifer montage tomorrow where they just kind (laughs) of, like, try to figure out, okay, do you feel vulnerable right now? Bang. What about now? Bang. What if I get a bazooka? Like, do we do we toss you into a volcano? What happens? I wish that's what next episode was. I'm sorry. I have to to say. (laughs) That's too bad. It really, like, they really, at some point, someone should have said, you know, Lucifer, we should probably figure out exactly what the parameters are here i need exact footage like i need the precise distance and i need to for example if he's 15 feet away from from chloe is he susceptible to bullets if not is he susceptible to stabbing is he so like can he be burned can lucifer ever be burned these are things that i think that they should probably have figured out at this point like the the uh, lucifer trying to kill cana bunch to see what happens like, yes, get the exactly. chainsaw get yeah. the chainsaw totally, <laughs> totally. Oh, that's man. what i was hoping for and i'm very disappointed that's not happening yeah I'm so uh, tomorrow sorry. slash tonight <laughs> do you guys have any thoughts on chloe the, the logic that you know at the end and how chloe comes around and this notion of like the recontextualizing the gift, she's not a gift. The ability for her to be immune to Lucifer's mojo is the gift. What do you guys think of that? 
I thought that was beautiful. I was surprised how well that worked for me, honestly. That whole final scene. And a lot of that, I think, comes down to D.B. Woodside's performance, because even though we don't see the majority or I guess the key part of that conversation, we just hear about it from Chloe. The energy that he brings to the discussion they're actually having makes it all seem possible. And you can sort of imagine how moving and earth shaking that conversation would have been for Chloe. So, yeah, that absolutely worked for me. And so did Lucifer connecting. We are going to come back to the bracelet bros, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to double check. Okay. Um, Because we need to talk about how Dan apparently doesn't know how to search through goat pellets. Because that's not... Okay. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, However, I also, in, in a similar vein, very much appreciated Tom Ellis's delivery of the line that connects Dan's lesson in how policing works. Mm-hmm. Um, to uh, his experience with Chloe and what he needs to do to be there for her in an appropriate and actually helpful way when he says, no shortcuts, detective. Like, re- some really nice, underplayed, emotionally rich moments from a lot of people here. Because, I mean, we also haven't talked about Maze and Linda yet. Like, lots of people do it. I'm coming around on this episode more and more as we talk about it. Lots of people firing on all cylinders. Yeah, that's how I felt rewatching it. I think you know, that, that, I discussed this in my review, basically, how I was, like, just fine with this episode and then i rewatched it i I realized how many things this episode actually accomplishes and i was very impressed yeah and i think woodside and the writing from minadil are really strong in that sequence in particular where he's talking about how kind of frustrated he is no not kind of how frustrated by how frustrated he is with himself now of not being curious about why dad told him to do what he did and how all of this could have changed or how he could have changed quicker, sooner, better if he had just thought to ask why. And there's a lot of that in terms of a, that's a very Lucifer concept. And by Lucifer, I mean Lucifer Morningstar, the archetypal figure here of asking why. Um, we can do this, right? We can do this. And the why being the thing that propels them forward. Um, so... That coupled with his discussion with Chloe and then that discussion that Chloe has with Lucifer in regards to being the only mortal that can see him who for who he actually is. There is a real elegance and beauty in that. And Kate, when you like, this is the closest to an answer that I think we're going to get. I think that this is the answer. This is the answer that we that the show deserves, in fact, I too. Um, because it's really elegantly laid out, I think. But it's also keeps in keeps in with all that self-actualization that they've been slowly and then very rapidly building out. Um, So I think all of it ends up working really, really well, even if I still feel kind of lukewarm on the episode. Um, My only knock against that final scene, which I think is great, and I was very glad that no one showed up in the elevator to ruin that kiss, because that's Mm. what happens on this show, (laughs) Um, is that they replaced the piano. No piano, yay! I was just like, no, it, no why? Why did have you that do scene? That? <laughs> they could have done it downstairs. <laughs> I hope that we just, that maybe there's a blanket over the piano and what's under the piano is the old piano. Um, so that it's like, so Lucifer has a hard time with the pedals because he keeps hitting like, uh, like a lovely piece of mahogany. Yeah, that's what I hope. Well, let's talk about our bracelet bros because yes. uh, I was so happy <laughs> to see again more of Dan, Dan centered, Dan doing the work, and you know being a 
bouncing, you know, like a, a, a springboard for Lucifer's like development and growth and Lucifer being open to and listening. Like the fact that he still has the bracelet and didn't just chuck it. Like, and they're, they're little dorky, like bracelet bros, fist bump thing they were doing later. I'm so on board for it. I don't trust it to last. I would like if it did, but I, I loved all of our bracelet bros. Uh, three things about the bracelet bros, I have to say. So one is that uh, I guess now Lucifer and Dan just have shared custody of Dan's number one dad mug. So that's just a thing now. Uh, Two is the fact that uh, Lucifer calls Dan his friend when Dan's not even around, just genuinely calls him his friend and no, like no prank element. And three is he continues to wear that bracelet even when Dan's not around and seems. It's so nice. It made me so happy um, watching because he, we know that Lucifer does occasionally listen to Dan, right? We know that because we see him when he's not around. But you can understand how even before everything that happened with Charlotte, why Dan would have a hard time believing that and would have little to no reason to actually be kind to Lucifer, right? But he was and then wasn't getting to see Dan finding a way to reach out again all by itself, I think would be wonderful, right? Like knowing that he has come far enough in his admittedly compulsive kind of troubling self-help journey that he can offer kindness to someone that he until fairly recently believed wronged him in this fundamental way and now thinks he's just a jackass which is you know true um but the fact that that connection continued and that lucifer was so sincere about it i just really loved um Thumbs up, many thumbs up for me. Also, I got a very important text message from Keenan this morning who went back and did a freeze on Dan's desk in order to report that he, hold on, has two signs. Um, one says, live, laugh, love. And another says, live, love, life. One of each. <laughs> Which I think is magnificent. Yeah, it's it was really nice, in part because, like, that idea of slowing down um, and doing that work, I think, really matters for Lucifer in particular right now. But it also matters for Dan as he tries to, like, recover from his backslide into palmetto-ness, but also his, um, but also the fact that the show seemingly can't figure out a way to make an episode about Dan yet right yet so they have to do all this work on the side and a little bit off screen um which i think is working because kevin alejandro is so very good at selling all of it and when you put him and ellis together and have them go through paperwork and then go to goat yoga and try to find a poker chip sized thing in goat poop which again should not involve taking apart goat poop it's just going through it um, I think it all just ends up working really, really nicely. And I like the ways that it develops both of their characters um, in quiet little ways. Um, we have to talk about Linda and Maze. I loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, I, like, clearly uh, Dr. Linda is older than I thought she was, but I thought that the casting was really good and they, they pretty much nailed that whole arc. Um, we will get to... Latoya, the commenter theories um, 
that I think were very interesting at your review. But let's just start out with um, let's start out with Linda and Mays and and the immediate like. The, the, the immediate, oh, she seems like she's great. Like, of course, of course, Mays found her in, like, the span of that, like, maybe day. Yeah. <laughs> what did you guys think? Well, I like that that's what she went to do when she stormed out of Linda's office, because she was pissed, but, like, she wasn't going to go do something stupid. She's like, I'm going to go find this girl, because I'm Mays, and that's what I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 No, it just, it made a lot of sense that that was what Mays went to go do, and that also Mays found her so quickly. Um... um and so I really like Rachel Harris in that scene where she explains that kind of confession about what she did and what happened um, is just really good. And that the the cinematography just allows you to sit with it um, and sit with that performance in particular as well. Um, this episode does a really good job of allowing you to sit with these performers. Um, but in particular, when... Harris is recounting everything that Linda did from, yeah, no, it was beautiful. And then I just ran. And it's just so good and perfect, really, in terms of both the delivery, but also in explaining everything that's been kind of circulating around Linda this in this season in particular. Because it's not just that, yeah, no, I have a special celestial baby. I get a chance to do it again. And do it right. So I'm going to go overboard a little bit. I'm going to protect all the rafters. I'm going to do Japanese. I'm going to do STEM lessons with the forensic scientist from my friend's workplace on Wednesdays. All of this stuff just makes so much sense. Because it's one thing if that guilt is bottled up in a sense of abandonment. Because I just put it up for adoption. But it's another when it's the nurses weren't looking and I ran away from the hospital. Um, so I think everything about that just clicks all of the Linda stuff really nicely into place. Um, so much so that because of all that emotional lifting that it does, when you get the scene at the um, open house with her daughter, all the humor in that should feel really cringy, except it doesn't because you've had the moment to process everything from the earlier scenes in the interim. And so getting that getting all that silliness of how do you feel about adoption and all this really zany stuff that Maze is doing um, is just, it feels really good. And then it leads to that really great realization of this needs to be her choice, which does no, it absolutely does Maze. I understand that you don't understand this. That's fine, but it does need to be this woman's choice. Um, so that then by that time, that little moment where you just sign up for this website, it's just such a beautiful little touch that I just, yeah, it's probably my favorite part of the episode, I think. It's an incredible character moment, I think. The inside, realizing that Maze has come far enough in her progression that she can recognize that the best thing, the only thing to do in this situation is to give both Linda and this young woman, this opportunity to sort of open the door and not force it. I was just, I was so proud of her. I was very proud of Maze. I've reached the point in my Lucifer appreciation where I now just feel proud of the characters rather than thinking, man, that's really good acting. And it is, but I was still very proud of Maze. <laughs> what do we think of her return to uh, Reno? Do we first of all do we believe it, or is uh did did uh, Lilith want to um did she fake her death so that Mace wouldn't find her again, 
uh, which I think is an option. Um, and uh, second of all, what do we think of the scene? I feel like she probably flew the coop as well. I agree with Scotty um, that uh, Lilith is absconded, probably to Atlantic City. Um, cause you go to Reno, you're just going to go to Atlantic city, um, <laughs> or Biloxi, one or the other. Um, but yeah, I don't think she's dead. I think she probably like faked her death or something, but, um, yeah, I think she's gone. Um, cause at its core, we're still in a comic book show and we're still in basically a melodrama. If there's not a body, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and even if there is a body. Maybe not. Yeah. Um, John Berriman died so many times in error and we saw a body. Uh, <laughs> not enough times. Jesus. So, uh, yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure she's alive still. But yeah, that's where I am with it. I think that she's really dead. Um, however, I maintain that you don't hire L. Scott Caldwell for one scene unless that scene is considerably longer. So I think that maybe she's in hell. Um, because eventually at some point we're going to have to go back to hell and ask ourselves, who's the new king of hell? And maybe that's Lilith? Um, I don't know if Lilith is in... Yeah, is she an angel? I don't know. She's obviously not human, right? So, like, she's an immortal of some sort. Like, maybe she gets in on a technicality. Anyway, I don't know whether or not that holds, although they very conspicuously have not told us why Dad was like, Hey, Aminadale, you can come back from hell now. Well, do we think that is real no, or do like, we think that's Michael? It's Michael, right. No, because it's Michael at his right hand and being like his whole... He's the only one that's got a connection to God anymore. Uh, he's the only one talking to Dad. So if Michael says something. So so maybe Michael told Amenadiel, doing his best God impression, Amenadiel... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Now why. I need to see Tom Ellis doing that as yeah. Michael. Um I don't know why he sounds like Barney. Um but here we are. Anyway, maybe Michael told Amenadiel that he could come back um knowing that Lilith had died and somehow got God to give the okay that Lilith could rule hell or maybe Lilith is just in hell or for I mean no. No one who sings the song I want to be evil that way with so much spirit uh winds up in heaven I don't think. Um so yeah, I, I that's my theory is that we will see more else Scott Caldwell, but it will be in some sort of afterlife. Okay, let's try it. Go for it. Well, first of all, Barney is my god, Allison. So how dare you? <laughs> you blasphemer. <laughs> uh, second of all, I love you too, Latoya. <laughs> um, so originally in my review in Straight Hours of Masons, I was like, so Amadeo, you know, he used to be God's right hand, and now it's somehow Michael, which. It's, you know, that's a thing. Um, that's proof that God does, of course, work in mysterious ways, uh, which is why I still, at the at the point when I dropped my review, I was like, I have no idea why Amenadiel told, uh, uh, God told Amenadiel that hell no longer requires a warden. I'm not going to do an impression. <laughs> um, but then discussing in the comments, you know, because some people were, brought up the Michael impression thing. And I'm like, I understand him doing an impression of his his twin brother, maybe not so much of, 
God or whatever Allison's version of God is. Uh, so someone did uh, approach the subject of Lilith, but I'm like, no, uh, the warden has to be a celestial. Then I realized God makes up these rules. Yeah. And literally there's a point where when we get that from a deal, God said, no more warden, blah, blah, blah. No longer needs to warden. That's basically to, to me, our sign that Lilith died before we even know that Lilith died. And of course, hell will no longer need a warden when the demon's mother is all there. So God just change up the rules a little bit because again, he's God. He can do it with the, the mother of all demons there in hell. It solves itself really. Yeah. Well, and especially because the timeline theoretically works out if it's not a fake, mm-hmm. um, then, then Lilith died a couple days previous, and that's about the timetable of the case that we yeah. see. So that would that would track for what we know about Michael and what he can do. I don't think the the God impression or, or convincing God to like do a little trick on Amenadiel mm-hmm. is is one of those things. Maybe he did his best Alan Rickman impression to do the voice of God. To be Metatron, yeah. yeah. Um, I mentioned that in the comments too. Yeah, um, I do think that. Because if if Amenadiel had not interacted with Michael already this season, then you could pull that off. But because he would know to be on alert for Michael, or he should, I think it would undermine Amenadiel too much to do that. Um, unless there's something, some other new twist we don't know about yet. So for me, that makes more sense. Um, especially because they've made like this is literally the first time in the entire series anyone has talked about God actually speaking to anyone. Um, so it's a big deal. And it's given a lot of weight by the performances. Uh, so so if that if, if that was a psych, it's actually Michael. I don't feel like that would, you know, I feel like that would be uh, really anticlimactic in a way that undermines the characters. Also, um, I liked something, we did mention it previous, but I, I liked that they layered in with this whole Michael and Lucifer thing that apparently that's been a thing that Michael has done many times before during the millennia of their existence is like trying to dupe a men deal that he's actually Lucifer and doing like the twin swap thing. Um, so, so Michael has a lot of practice trying to like being Lucifer. So it makes more sense for him to be able to at least uh, misdirect people for a while, but, uh, and maybe that's what he's doing, sitting at the right hand and everything, but um, that would be a lot harder sell, I think. So that's sort of where I'm at. It's occurring to me in this moment that bringing Michael in now and making him such an obvious and um, uh, I guess imposing antagonist rules out the possibility of us getting a Lucifer parent trap episode where, uh, where a men, sorry, where Lucifer and Michael have to try to reunite God and mom somehow mm-hmm. at a camp. Yeah. Preferably. Of course. <laughs> yeah. You know how in the parent trap, it was all at the camp. Just the camp. The camp matters. At the nudist colony. Yeah. I'm sure that that these writers would find a way that this do, that does feel like very much their jam. Um, there are a couple of things I wanted to check in with this episode before we before we leave it. Um, first of all, we get a bit of an answer on the timetable because Lucifer says that this is where he burned his wings a few years ago, meaning the timetable of the show is now a few years 
in human time. Whatever that means. Since, like, episode six with the wings and where we are with the gift. Do we even know that Lucifer knows what time it is now after being in hell for thousands of more years? <laughs> I No, I refuse to believe that he knows. I don't trust his timeline. I'm going with that. I, I feel like it's okay. Um, also, uh, I, there's some listener comments I want to get to, too. But this episode is another example of um, I my hopes have now been dashed that we're getting anything approaching the storyline Ella deserves. Dan has, has gotten a lot more this season. Linda has gotten a lot more. Maze has gotten a lot more. But apparently season 5.0, we should lower those expectations for Ella because she is, again, not in this episode in a meaningful way beyond, like, two scenes about nuns, uh, which is disappointing. Um, so that was the other thing I wanted to mention. Um, over in the comments, uh, Scotty says, I had this thought while watching the last episode, and it holds true with this one. I'm reminded of how good Ellis is at not being the main character of an episode. He's so very much the star of the show, but he's wonderful about sharing the energy and focus and stepping back when it's other ensemble members' time to shine. I think that's an excellent point. Not all of the lead actors on shows are anywhere near as uh as aware and like willing to do that or able to do that um let me see uh marcus says maze can still ask for lucifer amenadiel's help to fly down and check on lilith um scotty says it's very on brand for amenadiel to get tricked by his own brother doing a fake voice and uh marcus says lilith's hell is having to be a mother so that's interesting um uh, also, Marcus says Chloe's reaction to any supernatural stuff is so great. And I think Dr. Linda is younger than Rachel Harris, which it could be. Um, yeah, I'm not too uh, worried about that stuff. Any, any of these or any other lingering thoughts about about uh, this episode, guys? Um, my only lingering thought is that we did not spend any time discussing uh, Linda's very excellent pajama game. Because yes. I really liked her pajamas a lot. They were very good jammies. I'm sorry. Um, for all of all the episodes for noted sleepwear expert Keenan Caldwell to miss, I cannot believe she missed the one where Linda wears the incredibly cute jammies. Um, her ensemble that she was wearing when she talked to Maze at her office was unusual. It did not feel like a Dr. Linda outfit mm-hmm. to me. It felt actually much more like a mom outfit. I'm curious if you guys yeah. noticed that. No, I, to me. it's it's yeah, it was different. For her, I noticed that as well. Even like in terms of like that kind of burnt color for it as well, it was very not how Linda typically dresses. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of outfits, if we do see El Scott Caldwell again um, in Hell in that throne, I look forward to the absolutely fabulous outfit. I am confident she will be rocking because uh, that's the most exciting thing for me. Of Lilith is is King of Hell is what the wardrobe could be. Very excited about that. Allison, Latoya, any final thoughts on this episode? Bracelet bros forever, man. <laughs> I'm going to have to get some lanyard materials and some um, amethyst so that we can all be bracelet bros. Uh, I noted in my review that uh, the use of a cover of David Gray's This Year's Love at the end of the episode is uh, emotional manipulation of the highest order. And I stand by that. And the show cheated is basically what I'm going to say. <laughs> I, that last shot was really lovely and focusing up on the blurred image it was, was very nice um, well that wraps up our conversation on this episode Latoya what's our next episode called our next episode is called Blue Balls how is it spelled with a Z oh, and no E yeah. there is an E it's, there is an E okay. there is an E there, it was confusion but like based on I think Netflix it has it with an E so okay yeah 
Isn't it fun when PR people and Wikipedia and the actual listings all have different spellings of titles? Yeah, it's, it's really fun. irritating. What a hoot. I think it's happened before for the show, too, which is really annoying. Yeah. And it's one word. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. I know so, some of the context of this from looking at pictures for the podcast, so I'm going to stay mum, but I'm ex- I did not anticipate this context of episode, um, it's, and I'm excited for it, is what I will say. Um, so predictions, predictions, uh, with a Z. I mean, if it's a Z, it's gotta be either some sort of extreme sports event, or it is a really bad DJ. It's one or the other. (laughs) It can't be anything else. Oh, Noel, you missed one really important category, because I agree, it's those two things, or it's a terrible dating app for men. Yeah, we've already done a dating app episode, though. But this yeah, is for men. Yeah, but you can never have too many. This would be like, men, here's how you get rid of your blue balls. Allison's voices today. <laughs> Don't worry about it, Latoya. No. <laughs> sing us out, Allison. Sing us out. No. No. <laughs> Any final thoughts? That's just Anything hurtful, else Kate. we want? <laughs> Uh, no, no final thoughts. I'm, yeah, that's where I'm going is extreme sports or DJ. I, I reject Allison's, Allison's idea because they've okay. already done this. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Cool. Anything you want to tease Latoya? Uh, I, uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't want to be mean. Okay. That's wow. My tease. That's interesting. Okay. Interesting. I'm curious. We it's will not talk a good episode. It's okay if it's not a good episode. You can tell us. <laughs> We'll talk about it more tomorrow. So thank you to Marcus and Scotty for hanging out with us in the chat today. Thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. Bye. Bye. Goodbye.